0: People believe that shared sequencing will bring cross-chain atomicity, and it's true because you share the same sequencer. But we can take this a step further. If we have the mempools of multiple different roll-ups and you express this intention somewhere, we can pull you into a mempool match and be able to facilitate cross-chain atomicity. If there is a commitment layer, anything is possible.
1: Scraping Bits is brought to you by the following sponsors. Fastlane Labs, Trustless, MEV. Sau- MEV Protocol. Maximize your ETH staking value with MEVE, exclusively on MEV.io. And Composable. Execute any intent on any chain, coming soon to mantis.app. That is M-A-N-T-I-S GMGM, everyone. My name's Sigaji, the host of Scraping Bits. And today, I'm with Omar Zaki, a.k.a. BrainJar from Composable. How's it going? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. You know, we spent the past two days in Dubai together. Now you're in Turkey without me, but that's fine. We're just going to go along with this. (laughs) (laughs) But man, just for the people that aren't familiar with you, uh,
0: I know a lot of people listen on Ethereum and who are you and what do you do? Yeah, so we have been focusing a lot on IBC, so Trust Minimized Bridging. Since 2021, we started out trying to bring... Polkadot um, now bringing Cosmos and IBC to Ethereum and Solana and several other ecosystems. Our focus has really always been how do you replicate kind of this DTCC, dark pool, best execution vibe that you see very apparent in the equities market to crypto. And a lot of different people strategize all these different ways to do so. But for me, I really believe that cross-chain is the way to unlock this. So I think we've really tried to position Composable as a protocol that has developed solid interoperability technology that can sustain multi-billion dollars of volume per day because it's trust-minimized. On top of this, develop order flow orchestration mechanisms to distribute it in a sort of chain-agnostic, volume-driven manner. Hmm. The biggest
1: things we see right now with cross-chain is, well, how do you first bring all this money from one chain to another? And the only solutions are just bridges quite recently, depending on your definition of recently. So you're highly reliant on these chains. And especially, that was two or three years ago, the Bronin bridge hack with Axie Infinity. That was like 600 mil or something. I mean, bridges are just highly critical infrastructure, but also very unique. And so there's no standard for security and they tend to be a giant target. So are you guys relying on these bridges
0: or are you building your own? What's the game plan for that? When we started on this journey of essentially trying to create a best execution API for anything, right? So like for swaps, like anything you want to do in the crypto ecosystem, we want to be able to facilitate it. And I don't think we really started thinking that we were going to build interoperability solutions. I think we just ended up realizing that we needed to because everything was so shit. Like the standard way to bridge is basically just say, trust me, bro. And then people basically just take this trust me, bro concept and extrapolate it to different models. Like model number one is validators, right? So that's the wormhole Axelar model. Model number two, you got layer zero, which is basically just a two out of two multi-sig, but they put corporations there like Google Cloud, right? And everyone's saying, Oh my God, so amazing. But actually I think that's incredibly bearish. And then you have, you know, protocols like Synapse, which is sort of like will mint you a token and then you swap it on the other side. So they basically print NUSD. They mint and burn NUSD and they swap it for... USDC or something on a stable swap pool. That's interesting, but I think that's like heavily liquidity constrained. So basically we discovered this protocol called IBC, which was existing in Cosmos. And I was really excited about it because it is using light client verification on both sides. So it's like you just trust math and proofs. There's pretty much no one else controlling You basically have to trust the chain, right? Like if the chain gets reorgs, then IBC breaks. But I found this to be a really, really compelling bridging protocol. But then the issue was, oh, this is only in Cosmos. And so that's obviously been the excuse that so many different bridging protocols have said. They've always said, oh, IBC is the best, but we just can't bring it to other ecosystems. And so now we've spent the past like two years... Doing this, we successfully brought IBC to Polkadot, so we connected Polkadot and Cosmos. We also connected Polkadot and Kusama. Now we're doing Cosmos and Ethereum. You know, it's economies of scale, right? It's like we did the first few integrations. Now the next ones are much, much simpler. And what was it like learning that technology and building these bridges that others thought they couldn't do? It really wasn't, probably still really isn't in vogue. The the thing is, is like, people just look at what we're doing as just another bridge. And the truth is, it's like, it's not just another bridge, like on days when... It's like a section of what you're doing. Well, yeah, that, but also, right, like on days when bridging hacks do happen, everyone always says, oh, wow, look at these IBC guys, like they actually are trying to build solid technology. But like, it's a bit of an unsung struggle because the payoff... Is revenue on bridging volume and like trying to get volume and stuff. When you're competing with such large players like Layer Zero, who have like hundreds of millions of volume per day and it's a two out of two multi sig, it really makes you think do people actually give a shit about decentralization or do they just don't mind trusting Google Cloud? When I think about like crypto 10 years down the line, I hope that we all appreciate decentralization, right? Like that's kind of the reason why we're all here. But at the same time, you know, you see such massive usage over two out of two Well, I think that's just a contributor to like no other
1: solutions, no alternatives. So you're kind of just stuck with the centralization option, right? You can't really go decentralize if nobody's providing it. Well, I guess you're going to be that provider you know so it's used until then basically you guys are also doing some pretty interesting interesting stuff with the ETH IBC the ZK proofs research I think that'll be pretty interesting and even the ZK kind of realm as well when you think about like Aztec or scroll they're going to be having their own ZK bridges and it's all going to be an in like a web basically but also massive attack vectors if not done correctly because they're all unique you know they, they don't have a standard and it's just a massive target so that's very exciting and once you land into the ETH realm, then you can finally compete with others, you know, multi-chain, et cetera, and hopefully take it over because just a multi-sig of two people is just crazy to think about. And nobody really cares because it's just ease of access. And when they do research into it, it can be an easy choice, the decentralized option. You know, you're doing more than just bridges. You know, it's just a part in the entire pie or the equation. You're basically doing this interoperability you know, chain agnostic swapping and transferring of of assets, and it's meant to be a true universal router. You know, when you want to buy on chain Ethereum and send it over to Cosmos or whatever chain you want, AVAX, Phantom, you don't want to think about, oh, where am I going to bridge? How much? I'll get the fees, all this shit. To be able to scale crypto, there needs to be some ease of UX, but also connecting everything, everything is siloed, basically, to one chain. When a new chain spins up, it's literally just a clone of every other protocol from the previous chains. <laughs> it's like a pretty bad model so far. But, you know, once these bridge problems are solved and all this stuff, uh, it gets way better. And I think you're doing an interesting thing with this with the fillers, if I'm correct. It's like all the searchers fill these orders that they put in, kind of like Uniswap X and Uni Four.
0: So, like, it's really insane that we have so many different ETH USDT pools. Let's just take USDT, USDC, right? There's so many places to swap USDT, USDC. Me as the user, I'm just going to keep using my ecosystem that I know best. Why would I ever do anything on Solana, right? Like I use ETH mainnet. I've been using ETH mainnet since day zero. I trust it. I do all my swaps, you know, on Uniswap and Curve. That is such a small way to look at the crypto ecosystem and but the reasoning for that is like how does anyone just how would anyone know any better if i get a better rate for my swap on say radium on solano where it's also faster and cheaper to do swaps in general i'm just not going to take the time to figure that out and bridge and do the swap myself all that stuff is just going to be Something I don't think about, but I know always in the back of my head that the way that orders get filled in equities is someone puts out a trade, it goes into a dark pool and it gets executed on like 10 different exchanges, like very, very quickly, breaking up these orders and then reconciling them all at the same time in the same sort of location. And that's what we want to bring to crypto because like it is true that there is significant ARB opportunities between different chains. I think people still think like cross chain MEV is a meme, but we're gonna start putting out more and more research that shows like actually there is quite a disparity between what just any the deepest liquidity pools on every ecosystem are the same two assets. Yeah, and I think also the reason cross chain
1: you know, arbitrage or right? any strategy isn't really people aren't really applying it is because it goes from atomic to non-atomic, and so you hold a lot of risk if the opportunity is no longer there while you're waiting for the bridge to execute, which could vary in time. It's it's never guaranteed, and so once there is something where it can be atomic, where you can be like, okay, I want to trade pull ETH USD on Ethereum and let's say Solana. And I want to do it in one trade where it's like this entire bridging route is within that transaction, which I, I imagine it would be like, not just like kind of pending forever. So, I mean, that just brings a whole new realm of opportunities. And for the searcher as well, you know, the people that are going to be filling in these orders, a lot of people would counter with the argument, why not just use Swab, you know, from flashbots when they release that. Because they're doing cross-chain, going on every single chain. What's your counter to that?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, so I think the realm of what we're doing sort of resembles Suave, I guess. It's a bit like a twice-removed cousin of Suave. We're sort of like similar principles. We're trying to build blocks for different ecosystems. But I think there's like maybe three, three core differences that I see between us and Swalve. First, like to use Swalve as a user, you need to bridge to Swalve first. That's like how anything begins as a user. I think that that is like a huge bottleneck that people are not really going to want to do. The second thing is there is also a lack of commitments. So Swab essentially is a play where they take MEV boost and they take this relay piece and they turn it into a chain. They build a block and they send the full block to the proposer. The proposer can choose to not include the block at all. There's also this belief that, oh yeah, as a builder, you know, me and beaver builds. I'm going to move to this world in which I'm no longer going to submit my trades, my blocks to MEV Boost. I'm going to submit my blocks to Suave and I'm basically going to compete to build the best block on Suave with other builders and send them to proposers. I don't really think that that's super realistic considering how much money these guys are making right now with the current system. Of course, maybe Flashboss just turns off mev boost but someone else would probably just spin up a very similar relay and people would just use it so there's this concept of like commitments right like how do you get all these different actors to commit to doing what they say they're going to do and it's a really hard problem because it's essentially unsolved right because basically proposers want to do as little as physically possible and builders want to have a complete control of the entire process Like my take is, okay, so yeah, so no commitments. And then the third piece is we're much more diving into this belief that cross-chain is going to be a thing, much more than just like, hey, we build blocks for different domains, right? So this is where I have a huge belief in this concept called mempool matching. You know, you want to do something on a chain, you submit your transaction to a mempool and suddenly you're matched with someone else. In some other mempool, like a cow, basically. So, how are we different? Like, first, we're developing a commitment scheme where basically proposers need to be committed in the system in order for like them to receive order flow and, and participate in the system. What that looks like yet, I'm not sure. There's this recent work done by this guy, I forget his name, Diego. There's like Zero X Futuristic, has done some work on Pepsi. Someone also did some work on Pepsi Boost which is like a new relay design where you enforce commitments off chain through a relay. I'm very interested in finding ways to make commitments. So like where I'm looking at, you know, Pepsi boost, I'm looking at restaking. There's like this idea from Eigenlayer, any boost plus plus, where you have kind of validators like are natively restaked on Eigenlayer. So that's like one area we're very deeply looking into to facilitate partial block auctions, because we don't believe that we will build full blocks. We believe we'll be really, really good at building partial blocks, potentially strictly top of block transactions. Then the second piece of difference beyond commitments is you can submit a trade or you can do anything from anywhere. You don't have to bridge to our chain. What would a partial block look like? You would build this partial block, right? So it could be like one quarter of one. But then what happens to that partial
1: block? It's put into a marketplace with the block builder. It's a kind of I guess you could say a bundle, right? And then what happens
0: after exactly. that? Yes. So there's like two, three ways. So like early iterations, I would imagine these partial blocks just get sent to all builders and they basically choose to include them or not. Later iterations, I'm toying with if we have something like Pepsi Boost, where Pepsi Boost can allow for multiple different blocks to sort of be sorted into multiple different sections of a block to be sorted into a full block for proposing. So it's almost like an auction on a, on another auction. Like, like right now, MEV Boost is just one auction for a full block. In Pepsi Boost, it would basically be same thing, but now you also got partial block builders who submit and also try to compete for... To win the auction for different sections of the block, that's kind of where I imagine things heading for us. But still, very early. I think these are still lots of questions we're still trying to sort through. The immediate thing I think about when you think about cross chain
1: is: uh, is it all atomic? When someone says, "I want my intention to swap," you know, Ethereum, uh, like I want to send my Ethereum to basically Solana and do a swap in Solana. How do I how does that process look like? Is that
0: atomic or kind of non-atomic? Well, so yeah, early on, without any of this commitment scheme or any of this like sort of commitments layer, it would be non-atomic. But to make things atomic, right? Like let's just take the example of two roll-ups. People believe that shared sequencing will bring cross-chain atomicity, and it's true because you share the same sequencer, right? So but but we can take this a step further where basically if we have the mempools of multiple different rollups and and you express this intention somewhere we can pull you into a mempool uh, match and and be able to facilitate you know cross chain atomicity assuming that the sequencers on the respective chains like the people who are actually proposing these blocks on the respective rollups and respective chains in the case of validators are committed to do so if the, if there is a commitment layer anything is possible so but then the key question right is like why would anyone commit and so the answer there is well more money right and so we have to define what well, does this more money actually mean the more money is is in my mind more mev being unlocked because of commitments which is enough such that the money that they could make from these commitments is is higher than the value of like the work they have to do to be committed and what that work again looks like could be a variety of things right they could be restate there's a lot of different options there but so so that's kind of we're trying to balance this supply chain so that that is possible. Hmm.
1: So when we say non-atomic, not before the in, intent layer, really, it would be basically someone filling this order on one side. Then what happens if it's not filled
0: on the other side? Then it's just left with risk. So the whole thing, so so basically like the life cycle of a transaction in our system would basically be you come in, you say, I want to do something, I want to swap my ETH for Solana, and then bridge to Solana. And don't fill me on, you know, don't basically like execute it until unless both legs are able to get executed. So essentially how that would work is you come in, solvers basically come up with the best possible routes for you. And you have three ways of solving this. Number one, you either have cows. So someone else, you get matched with someone else doing the same thing. A solver comes up with a route or a solver just executes it for you 100% so in all of the cases if the full if both legs of this thing are not executed then the whole transaction basically reverts and the searcher gets slashed sorry the the solver gets slashed solver searcher i mean the, the lines are getting very blurry yeah the filler exactly so so but like in the bull case right essentially like your transaction would get sent to Ethereum, swapped on an AMM. This would be, again, like some some sort of, like, submitted to a builder or something to make sure that there's inclusion. And then bridged to Solana. And that would sort of happen through something we, called, we call composable VM, which is like this orchestration layer that doesn't actually require the solver to do anything other than specify a route, which is really interesting because... I think solvers are, are trending to becoming very centralized authorities that just fill things. And I actually think it would be really cool if just like anyone could just run a solver and just like compute routes. It makes it like very much a lot more permissionless, a lot more decentralized. Yeah, like open source them basically.
1: Exactly. Exactly. But then why would someone do that if they if the centralized ones
0: are really making the money? Like kind of a monopoly, you know? yeah i mean like the thing is right it's like what if you're a solver that just like always creates like like you're able to find the most amount of cows or you're able to find the 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 most amount of the the best routes possibly right like we don't know that a, a, a taker a sort of like a filler coming in and just filling you directly is always the best way right like Sure, you avoid doing things on chain, which means there's like less risk involved from a sort of MEV perspective. But if you're able to mitigate that MEV, I don't know if that's necessarily always the best way, right? Probably. I think it could actually introduce a new type of
1: MEV since it is a cross chain interaction and you have these external, you know, fillers, AKA searches, you know, creating it for the it's basically pending MEV, and so these searchers could like do the simulation, right? But then they can also like sandwich them entirely from both chains, and like really, you know, you could. I guess it would happen anyway on any chain. I guess like if you're doing a swap, let's say on Ethereum, you always sandwich, for example, if it was on Uni. But if you're going from like Ethereum to Solana, me as a searcher I would see that you're about to perform this, I guess, arbitrage if it's in the same pair. And so I would snipe it before you, you know? And so your one just wouldn't even feel, and I would do
0: it instead. <laughs> 100%. And this is exactly why, like, commitments are super important, right? Because, like, because basically, just like you mentioned, so, so let's take the case of where, you, like, how do you not get wrecked, right? You don't, you don't get wrecked by essentially, like, we build an east block and we build a soul block, and the searcher conditions what they want to do to extract MEV in both blocks at the same time. And then the transaction on Solana is pending success of the transaction on Ethereum. And the person who is proposing the block with the pending transaction, as you said, pending MEV, would have to be committed to not you know, propose this thing propose that transaction until the E side was finalized. So that's like one thing I've been, I've been thinking about as like a potential mitigation path, but yeah, I mean, that's why in general we need a commitment layer because otherwise you just get basically fucked. So, so what does this commitment layer look like? Basically trying to do cross domain PBS but not pbs in the way we know it sort of pbs in the way of like proposer enforced basically cross domain pepsi i guess maybe that's the better way to talk about it i, I don't know but some sort of inter dynamic between commitments and different chains uh, and reconciling all these different off-chain actors uh, so it's a big problem it's actually one i'm not sure that's that's like solvable in the super near term. But if, for instance, cross-chain MEB becomes bigger than sex-dex arbitrage, as an example, then a solution like this is Im- important and needed.
1: Yeah. the When I think about cross-chain, I would think about me being a builder and having, I guess, somewhat of monopoly over something. So when you think about Ethereum builders, it's more... You know, Beaver, Titan, R-Sync, and those are basically the Monopoly. And if I were to do cross-chain, I would team up with the biggest builders on other chains and form some kind of cross-communication. Yeah, because then you benefit each other in that way. And then, then you form up with a bridge, and then you just... Do that, you have some some backdoor agreement, and you really just monopolize cross-chain MEV in general, and you just do that for every chain, and then you win. So yeah,
0: and then but but if there's a protocol to facilitate payments for that, so that maybe it's not completely backdoor, then I think that's interesting. I think that's where I think that's actually where we're trying to play, right, in a weird way. Yeah, I think the I think blockchains
1: right now with the builder systems is very very weird because it does just become a monopoly really, and it's not decentralized at all. The deeper you go into it, like the only thing decentralized is really the ledger, but I mean that's all determined by like a centralized entity.
0: Yeah, I mean I think a lot of people imagine builders going away at some point, right? The only reason why we have builders is because because of PBS, right? Like Solana actually doesn't really have people sitting around building blocks for Solana. Like Solana basically just streams... They have this client called the Jito client, and the lead proposer has the mempool, and the, that lead proposer basically streams... A 400 millisecond delay for searchers to go in and express themselves, and mm-hmm. so what you sort of have in Solana is like searcher-built blocks, and some people would say, "Oh, that's probably very bad. Are the builders really protecting us from from searchers doing sandwiches and stuff?" Like, well, no, no it doesn't make sense because. Well, if you're a builder, your
1: your main goal is to get the max amount of money out of the block so you compete with other people and win in the relay bids, basically. And so what's the most valuable and also transaction order flow, right? Order flow is the most important thing. And what gives you the most transactions is a sandwich. You know, if you're if you think about someone like Jared, uh, you know, just spamming sandwiches versus just like a, a back runner, you know, an arbitrager, right? the arbitrager is always going to be one transaction less than the sandwicher. Sandwicher has basically three transactions minimum in a sandwich and arbitrager has two. And so in terms of order flow, you know, you have way more, I guess, transactions with sandwiches, right? So it's, it's a hard problem. So just like, if you're not going to accept it, someone else will and build a better block, you know, unless they just have like a way better algorithm and they're, they just don't like sandwiches, and
0: somehow they still win. Yeah. Well, so let's take the example of like, let's take the example. Let's think of how basically, let's imagine a world in which builders are not needed on Ethereum anymore, right? I don't. Again, I don't know like if that they will ever come, but let's assume we have some sort of like enshrined pbs that reduces the power of builders Mm -hmm. maybe like we already have searcher builder sort of integration right so like maybe at some point the builder role goes away and everything sort of becomes every block basically becomes searcher built right in ethereum land so if that's the case then what you just mentioned before which is you know which is like say i'm a builder i just go collaborate with another builder another chain like you could search for multiple ecosystems right and then you could try to collaborate with searchers from other ecosystems to build to coordinate the best blocks for every domain at the same time and i think that's the direction i imagine the world going where like we make it so straightforward for searchers to express themselves that like they're able to express what they want to do in these different ecosystems at the same time.
1: But then not everyone is going to be the same, you know, just humans in general. when you think about like countries and shit, like they all do it their own way, despite. Yeah. Yeah. They, they all have their own, you know, vision and, you know, whatever they want to do, they'll do it differently. Even though if everyone did that was super aligned, you know, imagine if the entire world was like best friends of each other you know, it'd be a way better place, but obviously, human nature is just like, well, no, <laughs> greed and and whatnot. So, and I mean, you have to move mountains to get it to happen as well. Like everyone has to come to you know a consensus as well. Like outside of blockchains to make that development. And yeah,
0: but uh, and I and I think in general, it's okay as long as like it, it's okay from the perspective of like searchers becoming specialized and like you know some sort of vertical integration occurring across multiple different ecosystems. I think that's, that's, I don't think that that's necessarily like bad. I just think that it's bad if the searchers are the only ones making money. Mm. And some of that goes back to the user, like a big piece of that goes back to the user. Like then we could unlock some cool things where like, what if your transaction is ETH USDT on Ethereum? And just as you as you're about to get executed, you know a searcher bribes you to go do a trans, the same transaction on Polygon. Do you really care if you're going to swap ETH to on Polygon versus Mainnet? Maybe, but if you get paid enough, that's how we can unlock this like pay for order flow like Robinhood esque situation. And I think ultimately that's that's what people. Want but maybe don't really want to admit
1: I mean like um, I, during the bull market, you know on ethereum you're going to be paying ridiculous amounts of gas, like for example, I paid like fifty dollars for a transaction for a, for a swap, and you know I don't want to keep spamming like different swaps you know it, w- it would be great if someone else did that now I could give me the tokens as long as I uh you know have the tokens on ethereum. You can do whatever you want with the transaction, as long as I don't get sandwiched, basically. <laughs> but then, like it, I, I don't know, I guess you have to somehow have this rousing thing of how do you know this token is on another chain, and I can have it on my original chain. It's you know, if you think about the game with a uh, Uniswap four, um, in original Uniswaps like Uniswap two, for example, there's a whole MEV game of LP sniping and the people creating these LP contracts are, you know, got toxic tokens in them to basically honeypot the searches. And it becomes this whole like sniping anti rug, rug game. And so with Uniswap v4, it's going to be the same thing, but with exchanges. It's toxic exchanges, basically, what they created. And so they created Uniswap X to basically just let the searches handle it. Because it is just like you, I don't know, they kind of just created a problem really. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like hand it over to the searchers and be like, you you fix it. You deal with it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a searcher's world, man. You know what I mean? Like Yeah. I mean decentralization, you you need to incentivize people to to execute stuff. And how do you do that with you know,
0: enabling them in this kind of world? And I mean like yeah, like Philosophically, I think markets work better with like if I was to close my eyes right now and just like imagine a world where searchers just didn't exist, I don't think that would be a net benefit for ethereum. It would just be like this, you know I guess the the
1: Chinese stock market you know like it's it's just a single entity controlling everything de- determining what stocks you can buy and cannot buy yeah.
0: And, and I think like this, this, there's so many different ways to skin this, to skin this, but like, I think the, the ultimate end goal is just like, how do you enable a Robinhood experience for people in crypto? And like, if that means making searchers pay money for like exchanging domains or cross chain MEB or like building alliances between each other or just like enabling this, this, this marketplace of order flow settlements on different chains. As long as people are, as long as searchers are paying for that, like maybe we get to a world where we do unlock this sort of, this like free trading experience. I think it will be years before we get there hundred percent, but I think we can at least have very marginal improvements in efficiency and massive improvements in decentralization though, right? Like MEV boost is a problem. It's not a it's not cool that like one centralized relay controls Ethereum.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just the reality right now and especially with private mempools as well, like that enabled sandwiching, you know? Like, a sandwiching never really existed before then. It was kind of... I mean, well, it it, it could have, right? If you just paid, you know, high gas and Ethereum. But it just makes it, like, basically fail-proof. Especially with uh, hacks as well. Like, now you can just do a hack and do a private transaction. I mean, you guarantee the hack. It's not like you can run some, like, detection system and... You know, find it and then outbid them, basically. So it's like a risky game to hack. But, yeah, the sandwiching, I think. The negative parts of a MEV, and I would consider exploits MEV as well. Um, like, they got really enabled, I think, with flashbots.
0: Uh, and
1: You know, public mempools are just way better, I think, you know? Uh, especially when you have a exclusive order flow as well to specific builders um you know that that's like a big thing of course you have like the best searches sending you their transactions over other builders and then that's really another way of monopolizing um
0: but man if everything was public then you know gg yeah 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 and and i think a, a whole other lens to look at this stuff through right is also roll-ups like we're so advanced in ETH land at this point with like MEV and like to some extent MEV mit- mitigation. Like you know, you have MEV share. Like Flashbots has done some good stuff to like at least drive the conversation forward. You know, in Ethereum land, but but like now you look at like Celestia, right, and all these rollouts launching on Celestia on Eigenlayer. They're talking about shared sequencers, but like none of these shared sequencers are opinionated about MEV. And you know, a lot of these rollups just want to basically outsource all of this thinking to just like somebody, right? Cause like if you operate like a gaming rollup, you probably want to extract MEV for sure. Cause you know, it's a different revenue stream, but you don't necessarily care how it's done. And so I think that's also like a a lens with which to think about some of these concepts we're we're like thinking about is just like I think that a lot of this cross-chain MEV stuff becomes a lot more interesting slash present slash workable into a product in these newer nascent ecosystems.
1: Yeah, I think man, I really hope like this this basically hub for cross chain gets into fruition because I've seen a few protocols that do like cross chain vaults and strategies like that, or they just don't really like take off as you know protocols that are just like native to one blockchain. So I mean, man, I ho- I hope this all does like work out to be honest. But I do want to shift the conversation more towards like a personal kind of a uh, topic of you know founding such a massive protocol and working with multiple chains and all this stuff it's not an easy feat most people just build you know a single specialized thing but this is multi-domain and a lot of research has got to go into this to really hit everything and not miss out on a critical aspect right so man what were like the early days of building this and how have you like what were the struggles you've
0: gone through to get to the point where you are now yeah I mean, so I think like there's there's like a few lenses to look through this, right The first is we're still early in that beyond the bridging components, there's still a lot of ways to skin this problem, right We have like work that's going into different approaches. We'll end up having to come up with something right and put that into production and see what happens. but research, building something truly novel really requires a lot of research. And there's not a lot of people who can actually do that research. And I sort of enjoyed that component of the work, but it's also difficult because the whole sort of like strategy of the organization rests on the shoulders of what's coming next, right? Like what's the, what are the new products that are gonna drive more innovation and stuff like this? It's trying to strike a balance of like putting stuff into production that people use, but also not designing a system that ends up being boring and that doesn't actually resemble what you actually care about. All while sort of trying to also make sure that the infrastructure, the bridging pieces are revenue generating and are used. So it's like, we've definitely bitten off a lot more than we can chew, but that's also how you do interesting things in the space is you build a really well thought out architecture that like uses all these different components to come together for one product that makes sense. I mean the process has not been easy, like there's been a lot of changes in strategies, changes in who you work with, changes even internally as who's part of the team. I think it's really just about having this north star of your values, which for me has always been best execution. De- decentralization and security, and trying to bring value to users. And then, like, trying to also mess around with as many different ideas as possible and trying to get lots of feedback very quickly. That's kind of one of the major benefits of Flashbots, right? Like, Swab is not a perfect design, as I pointed out. They're going to put it into production, people will use it. But if people don't use it, they have so many different layers of like forums people they speak to regularly, they host conferences, et cetera. They're always in this feedback loop. And I really admire that about the Flashbots team. And that's something we're trying to do as well. We have a research forum called research.composable.finance where I publish a bunch of the stuff that I'm thinking about. But I think that's really critical, right? Because like that's the only way you know you're building something useful is if you can get quick feedback on it. And in some of these types of topics, it's really hard to get that feedback because it's so new. So yeah, it's about like talking to interesting people, getting their thoughts, speaking to people in the industry, like builders, searchers, et cetera, getting their feedback and asking them like, is this bullshit? Should I just tell me the truth, basically? Should we focus on something else? What would you want to see? So I think those are becoming customer-minded as a crypto protocol, I think is the biggest learning that I've had. And actually the person who really pushes this forward in the ecosystem is Anatoly from Solana. He always says, if you can convince your first hundred customers to pay for what you want in crypto, that means a really, really big payoff because those hundred people speak to another hundred people. And then basically the 10,000 people that use CT and use these products all now pay for your product. And it's a very fast snowballing effect in crypto. So I'm excited for the future, but it really does matter, you know, speaking to getting these quick feedback loops. And I think that's, that's really, I encourage more people to come to the forum, shit on my ideas, et cetera. Something I've dealt with as well. When you build such complex and
1: complicated in in some ways, depending on what it is, projects with so many moving parts and there's no definitive answer of the best way, this problem being solved, it's a lot of trade-offs. How do you deal with so many, I guess, options and being able to not get burnt out from, you know, that many options? Because me personally, there's, man, with building a fuzzer, for example, there's so many ways and you can build it in different kind of aspects. And when you're thinking about the algorithms behind it, it's really not easy. You know, when you have an infinite search space and you're trying to filter it down, but then you have like different trade-offs of how that's going to affect it, it's just like... You really got to trial and error, but sometimes it's overwhelming, especially as your team grows and you've got, yeah, I think you're managing a, a lot of people now from when you first started it's getting quite big, you know, and obviously you can onboard and whatnot, but businesses is one of the most stressful things you can do, if not these most, because there's just so many things involved, a lot of overhead. And if you just lack in any one area, it can kind of all go to shit. How do you really stay on top of things and not get burnt down really? maybe you do get burnt out, you know, and that's a normal human thing that happens. But is there any tactics,
0: strategies? Yeah, for sure. So I think my most unproductive when I stew on something for a really long time where I'm like, oh, I need to think of the perfect design. What are people going to think of? What are people going to think of these ideas if they're like half baked or whatever? So I sort of get in my head thinking about all these different options and ideas. And I just end up accomplishing basically nothing. And I think that the key learning there is just like, develop a group of people around you that can give you quick feedback. And and this is what I sort of have in my relationship with Blas, our CTO. He sort of brings me back down from cloudiness and helps me sort of think through these these different options and architectures. And, you know, we have a research team within Composable as well. Like, So I do this on a daily basis with those guys too. But, yeah, I think that's, like, one key piece. And the second key piece is just don't get nerd sniped by everything. It's really hard to not get nerd sniped by everything. Like, I've been nerd sniped by so many different things in the past, like, six months. And it's important to stay up to date. But one of the skills that people in similar positions Similar to me is like founders of a business. You need to also like filter stuff. I shouldn't be sitting reading about the the latest Starks research when nothing that we're doing has anything to do with Starks. Like, should I be aware of it? Yeah. Should I maybe like block out a couple hours a week to just do free form research reading? Definitely, but not every day. I think that crypto Twitter like tends to become a very addictive. Place and also contributes to burnout. Mm, Yeah, definitely. I think being able to set up your time and
1: prioritizing what needs to be done. Because I think it also comes down to like stresses as well. Me personally, I'm just an anxious person and I have a lot of stress in general. And so one of my strategies is just like remove as much as you can and accept the things you cannot change. But then like build the day that you would be happy with. That could be procrastination as well, but active procrastination, not. Being guilty about procrastinating and then having this super negative feedback loop that just eats away at your drive and passion—you
0: just feel really bad about yourself. So. It's so easy to fall into that, man. Like you have to make a real conscious effort to like not especially when you are someone that is trying to be ambitious because you want to do everything and there's only so many hours in the day. Other things that I've noticed too is like calls. And some people, calls are really, really useful. But generally speaking, 95% of things can probably be an, an email or, or a message. If you get really, really strict about your call schedules with like Even people within your team and stuff, and you have calls only between specific windows, like for X amount of specific hours per day, like these, this helps a lot because maybe you just need some time to just work and think through things. For me, I've definitely fallen a lot into these call filled days, and things just like compound for weeks. And then I'm like, oh, I didn't actually accomplish anything that I wanted to do. I was sort of ticking boxes, whether it's like building new BD relationships. I mean, again, this is part of my job as the sort of founder, but like these things can be built. You can build this in such a way, your schedule in such a way where just like you said, you built the day you want to live. It doesn't have to be, you know, completely strict of
1: going, you know, every 30 minutes or every 10 minutes of the day. I've personally gone every 30 minutes in the past and it works, but you've got to be realistic about You're a human, you're not a robot, you can't just work 12 hours straight every single day for years on end and not feel burnt out. It's inevitable that one day you've done too much and you're just going to be, your body's going to force you to take a break. And that might be for, you know, months on end. Me personally, that's what happened. I just worked every day for every hour, even though I loved it, I enjoyed working. It's eventually all caught up and then it's sort of like a month and a half off straight of just like nothingness. You know, I just couldn't even get myself to sit on the computer. I would just get instantly tired. Even though it was something I really enjoyed and it was really weird because it's something I was doing every day. But there needs to be balance in some way, in some degree, of a healthy acceptance of I am a human. This is a necessity to socialize because, you know, humans are social creatures. It's not just internet and goblin mode. You need to actually talk to people, IRL and meet make friends it's a pretty critical aspect but man yeah there's so many key factors that we kind of overlook 100 totally agree yeah i think there's a lot of things there and what i think the main contributor to any success is just consistency really and it comes down to how can you be consistent you don't have to work 12 hours you could really just work four hours hyper focused you can get a lot done in that time versus you know the guy that's working 12 hours but like jumping from one thing to another like phone scrolling then work for 30 minutes, go back. Like it's not as efficient, even though it may be longer. The quality is not as good as the quantity. So yeah, I- I'm really hoping to see the future of Composable and hopefully it'll revolutionize this crypto for the better because we need something to scale this ecosystem so it's not siloed shit coins everywhere and copy pastes of protocols from Ethereum and whatnot. So yeah, I- I'm really hoping in- that the future is bright for you and, and Composable.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Like we're definitely... Still on the path to solving a bunch of different things, especially as we enter, as we sort of begin to make the move from just like straight bridging to like other things, right? Like on top of this bridging infrastructure, there's definitely going to be a bit of a learning and storming phase. Yeah. I'm excited to like go through it. And I think six months from now, will definitely look a lot different. Yeah. I mean, like
1: any new technology enables new possibilities, right? So you never know what's going to happen until it's there. So... Wait until the day and then it will change everything, hopefully. (laughs) But either way, man, it was terrific meeting you in Dubai. And it's lovely having you on and being able to share this experience and the thoughts behind Composable, the masterminds behind it all. And and hopefully it gives some inspiration to someone to go forth and build something, just anything. So thank you so much for spending, you know, spending your time with me and talking about this today. Yeah, 100%, man. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Likewise. And to anyone
0: listening, thanks for listening. <laughs> Take care. Take care. See you.